Hi everyone, I'm Ben Norton and this is Geopolitical Economy Report. I had the pleasure of doing an interview with one of the few politicians in Europe who is publicly speaking out against the war in Ukraine and calling for peace talks to end the conflict instead of fueling it further with arms shipments. Her name is Sevim Dagdalin. She has been a member of the German parliament, the Bundestag, since 2005. And she's a leader of the Die Linke party, the left party. And she is part of the Bundestag's Committee on Foreign Affairs, a deputy member of the Defense Committee and spokeswoman for international policy and disarmament. In our discussion, she criticized the policy of the current German government and the European Union. She said that they're acting as vassals of the United States, and she called for Europe to have an independent foreign policy. A massive shift is taking place in favor of the United States, which is attacking Europe uh, as a center of industry with its uh, multi-billion dollar program uh, of industrial subsidies, uh, like the um, Inflation Reduction Act uh, by the US administration. So we need Germany actually be emancipated at last and Europe finally to assert itself ending the non-sensual, well, without a sense, uh, economical war and launching a European diplomatic initiative to end the war in Ukraine. This would be the start to emancipate themselves from the US administration and not being a vassal state of the United States anymore. She called for peace talks to end this war instead of fueling it with more arms shipments. So we need to make it clear, the only way to end this war and to prevent a possible escalation up to Third World War will be through negotiations. And there has uh, to be negotiations without preconditions on a ceasefire now. And she also criticized the United States for, according to a report by journalist Seymour Hirsch, destroying the Nord Stream pipelines. She referred to this as an act of terrorism against German civilian infrastructure. Uh, this is a terrorist attack on German and European energy sovereignty, uh, presumably committed by NATO allies, the United States of America and Norway. And this should have resulted in a huge outcry. In my opinion, the German uh, government's refusal to get to the bottom of the terrorist attacks on the German-Russian Nord Stream pipelines is the highlight so far of Germany's, uh, Germany's uh, vassalage to the United States. And she said that Germany is committing economic suicide on behalf of the United States. The German government's inability to pursue its own interests is clearly also being demonstrated today by its participation in the West suicidal economic war against Russia. I mean, the German government actions are, you know, from, from your perspective, it must be very utterly absurd how the German government is uh, acting at the moment and for the most of the population here in Germany and uh, Europe as well. She represents one of the few politicians in Europe who is calling for Europe to reconsider its foreign policy, to be independent and calling for peace instead of more war.
So this is my interview with Sevim Dagdalin. Thank you, Sevim. It's a real pleasure. At the Council of Europe in January, the German foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, declared, we are fighting a war against Russia. And she called for Europe to unite. And she said, we can fight this war only together. We are fighting a war against Russia. We can fight this war only together. Now, this may be a surprise to the German people. There was never a vote in Germany to, to declare a war on Russia. What do the people in Germany think about this fact that the German government has said it's at war with Russia? Do the German people want war with Russia? Well, first of all, Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock's statement has once again uh, confirmed what over the past year has become uh, increasingly obvious. Uh, the war in Ukraine is a proxy war between NATO and the West um, and Russia. And uh, this is clear from the massive military intelligence and financial support for Ukraine from the West, through which the NATO states are making themselves de facto conflict parties, as well as the unprecedented uh, economical war against Russia. Even the NATO General Secretary uh, Jens Stoltenberg has repeatedly and uh, publicly stated uh, that NATO's fate depends on Ukraine's victory. So a few days ago, um, around the Munich Security Conference, Stoltenberg moreover said that the war had started not in February last year, but in 2014, and that the NATO allies had been providing military support to Ukraine with training and equipment since then, since 2014. And uh, these are, of course, very serious confessions by the NATO Secretary General. And they sound, with the admission of the breach of international law by former federal German Chancellor Angela Merkel and the former French President François Hollande, uh, about only having concluded uh, the Minsk agreement to gain time to arm Ukraine. So without thereby legitimizing Russia's attack, of course, and Russia's invasion in, uh, in, uh, in Ukraine, we must nevertheless note that NATO, and especially the United States, states uh, share some of the blame of this war. And furthermore, with its war aim of militarily uh, defeating Russia, and its blocking of negotiations, the West is also making itself partly responsible uh, for extending the war. And you asked about the people and the population in Germany in contradiction to the interest of the German population. Uh, the German government, uh, as the statement of Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock has illustrated, uh, is completely bowing down to the West's strategy of betting on military victory, which I believe is unrealistic and extremely dangerous. And it's unrealistic because uh, nuclear-armed Russia will hardly be prepared to unconditionally give up in a conflict it is engaged in from its point of view to protect um, its very existence. Because Russia always said it's a very existential question for them uh, the question of uh, Ukraine and uh, membership uh, in the NATO. And it's dangerous because um, every passing day, 
and every additional weapon deliveries, uh, increasing uh, the risk of the conflict expanding into a third world war. And as you can remember, last year in November, the missile incident in Poland gave us an insight of that danger when Ukraine's President Zelensky tried, despite knowing it better from the intelligence from the NATO states, to declare a NATO state of defense and thereby potentially talk his risk, uh, his uh, way into a third uh, world war. So not without reasons, uh, surveys suggest that around three in uh, four people in Germany are afraid uh, of the war in Ukraine spreading and um, having an es escalation potential. The majority in parliament, the German parliament, the German Bundestag, uh, compl uh, completely ignores this. So the governing parties of the Social Democrats, the Liberals and the Greens together with the Conservative Party, the Christian Democrat Party, and uh, the right-wingers, they vote uh, for every new armed deliveries to Ukraine. And uh, the now leading neo-Nazi organization, uh, Third Way, Dritter Weg, for example, is also in favor of armed deliveries and stands uh, closely alongside the Azov Bataillon, and uh, is in favor of the uh, delivery of the battle tanks Leopard 2, for example. And so the German fascists even deliver uh, goods themselves to the Ukrainian fascist allies. Uh, but nevertheless, we have to um, say a majority in Germany wants the West, the Western uh, community, to launch negotiations on bringing the war to an end. And why do you think Germany and the European Union leadership are so invested in this war? In the case of Germany, Russia had been the largest supplier of both oil and gas to Germany. And we've seen major economic, economic consequences in Europe. We've seen large rates of inflation, um, extremely high energy costs, and this is fueling deindustrialization. We see German companies are leaving and going to the United States and other countries. This is causing unemployment and economic difficulties. We see that even Britain's economy is expected to decline this year. It's, it's going to be in a depression. So why is Europe so invested in this war? Well, the European Union and uh, first and foremost, the German government, uh, as you said, uh, Ben, uh, acts as an obedient vassal uh, to the U.S. administration. So this applies to the time following the end of uh, the Cold War, when we failed to build a security uh, order in Europe that would include Russia. Instead, Germany uh, went along with the US-led NATO uh, policy of expansion and confrontation, allowing the United States to drive a wedge between uh, Russia and Europe. The German government's inability to pursue its own interests is clearly also being demonstrated today by its participation in the West suicidal economic war against Russia. I mean, the German government actions are, you know, from, from your perspective, it must be very utterly absurd how the German government is uh, acting at the moment. And for the most of the population here in Germany, 
and uh, Europe as well. So the sanctions are failing in their purpose of hampering Russia's military operation. And this is something the German government has confirmed that in a very formal official reply to my parliamentary question. And at any rate, the Russian economy is taking the hit of the sanctions better than expected and will, in the assessment of the International Monetary Fund, IVF, uh, grow more this year than Germany's. So while we now depend on enormously expensive supplies of fracking gas from the United States, uh, the high energy prices are pushing many sectors of German industry to the brink of collapse. The workers are uh, footing the bill, suffering their greatest loss in real in earnings. It's about uh, 5%, so actually 4.7% uh, in 2022 since the second world uh, since the second world war since 1945 and anyone who has accumulated savings has lost about 10% of their value due to inflation in germany so if we can take the sound defense of one's own population as a measure of political intelligence then we in Germany have the yeah, most stupid, the dumbest government, for it is consciously harming the interests of its own population and accepting the downfall of the German uh, economy as the price of, well, Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock's stated objective. She said, ruining Russia. That is um, what she wants as a price for that. And within the Western alliance, too, a massive shift is taking place in favor of the United States, which is attacking Europe uh, as a center of industry with its uh, multi-billion dollar program uh, of industrial subsidies, uh, like the um, Inflation Reduction Act uh, by the U.S. administration. So we need Germany actually be emancipated at last and Europe finally to assert itself ending the non-sensual, well, without a sense, uh, economical war and launching a European diplomatic initiative to end the war in Ukraine. This would be the start to emancipate themselves from the U.S. administration and not being a vassal state of the United States anymore. And what happened with the European left? Um, you, Sevim, are from the Die Linke, the left party in Germany. You're a leader of the left in Germany. And you and some of your colleagues have been very outspoken against the war. But across the European left, we do see very few voices willing to challenge this war. Maybe in France, there's Jean-Luc Mélenchon, Jeremy Corbyn in Britain. Um, why are so many kind of center-left parties in Europe, like the SPD, which is currently in power in Berlin, why are they supporting war? Historically, the left has supported peace. Do you think this is a, a moment similar to 1914 at the breakout of World War I, where the left was divided and there were parts of the left that supported the war? Well, uh, to some degree, yes, uh, Ben. Uh, one cannot avoid getting the impression, at least uh, what was the approval of war credits 
in the First World War is today the approval of the delivery of arms, battle tanks, and uh, everything else uh, as weapon deliveries. So also as far as the justification of ever greater participation in the war is concerned, a hundred years only seem like a day sometimes. Uh, what was then uh, the alleged defensive war against the barbarism of the Russian Tsar uh, is today the victory over the oligarch capitalist system of the Russian president uh, Vladimir Putin. And this is a little bit funny because the oligarch system is not a genius Russian system. I mean, we do have oligarchs in Ukraine. We do have an oligarch uh, capitalist system in the United States uh, also. So, but it is frightening to see how well this war propaganda is working. In 1914, even parts of the left wing of social democracy had campaigned for the world war uh, since it was supposedly against a despot like the Russian Tsar. And in 2023, even parts of the left and the left party are calling for the delivery of German battle tanks and openly risking German uh, participation in the war, attracted with the argument that Ukraine is about a war against uh, an autocracy, an authoritarian regime like in Russia. But it seems that parts of the left have um, yeah, forgotten to take into account the geopolitical realities. I mean, even the, uh, the Joint Chief of Staff Chairman uh, General Mark Milley in the United States, the highest ranking officer of the U.S. military, has repeatedly pointed out, most recently at the NATO uh, meeting in Rammstein in January, that military victory is extremely unlikely for either side in Ukraine. So he warns of a war of attrition, claiming many casualties that will end up giving way uh, to a diplomatic agreement anyway. And since Russia's invasion in Ukraine, more than 200,000 soldiers and 50,000 civilians have died. Millions of people had to flee. Populations in both the West and the Global South are suffering massively from the effects of the war and Western economic sanctions with high, um, yeah, skyrocketing prices, food prices, energy prices, and so the West's strategy of sending more and heavier arms and weaponry to Ukraine will not end the war, but rather bears the risk of further escalation, even nuclear escalation with Russia. So and the historical task of the left and the peace movement in Europe, as well as in the United States, is to counter this war propaganda. So we need to make it clear, the only way to end this war and to prevent a possible escalation up to Third World War will be through negotiations. And there has uh, to be negotiations without preconditions on a ceasefire now. At the Munich Security Conference this February, German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock insisted that 
in this this proxy war in Ukraine, quote, neutrality is not an option. Neutrality is not an option because then you are standing on the side of the aggressor. And this is a plea we are also giving next week to the world again. Please take a side, a side for peace, a side for Ukraine, a side for the humanitarian international law. And these times, this means also delivering ammunition so Ukraine can defend itself. And then the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, echoed her comments, and he said that you can't be neutral. There is no neutral position. As Annalena said, there is no neutral position when it comes to uh, a war of aggression. Uh, there is no balance. And from our perspective, first of all, again, you really can't be neutral. Now, clearly, those comments were directed at the global south. The vast majority of the global population is in the global south in countries that have been neutral. 87% of the global population lives in countries that have not imposed sanctions on Russia over the war in Ukraine. So what is your response to Baerbach's insistence that neutrality is not possible? Well, uh, the reality shows that she's wrong. Uh, since the beginning of the war, the West has been trying to enlist these countries' support to isolate and weaken Russia in order to preserve its own, uh, absolute global predominance led by the United States. But this strategy has failed completely, as the numbers you mentioned uh, demonstrate. And on the contrary, large countries like China and India, I mean, are currently intensifying the economic um, relations with Russia and the West is um, further isolating itself and losing its credibility uh, even more. So the failure to make Russia a paria state shows the limits of the Western drive for hegemony in an increasingly multipolar world. So it makes perfect sense that the countries of the global south uh, do not want to be dragged onto the side of the West in the proxy war in Ukraine. And this is my personal uh, experience as well. I mean, in the last year, I've been in, in many countries on the global South, um, so especially in Africa, but also in, in Asia. And uh, the most uh, counterparts, they told me, you know, we are trying to survive. We do not want to be on one side. We, we, we want to survive here, this, uh, this uh, situation. Uh, we are also uh, affected uh, by, the, by the sanctions of the West. So they, they clearly see the invasion started by the Russians. But the reaction of the West to this invasion, through the energy sanctions, they are affecting the global south, not the invasion by the Russians. This was not affecting them. But the sanctions, the energy sanctions, through the uh, Western countries like the United States and the European Union, they are affecting, affecting them and they are causing this skyrocketing prices in energy and, uh, and food. So this is the, the reason why they say, you know, we want to survive, we have our own battles and we, we do not want to um, be in the middle of this war, uh, West versus uh, Russia. And uh, understandably, they point to the West's double standards policy as well and the innumerable illegal wars of aggression waged by the West and its allies, which did not lead to similar responses. So they always say, you know, we don't forget 
the invasion of Iraq. We don't forget the invasion in Libya. We don't forget uh, the invasion in Afghanistan and uh, all the crimes done by the Western countries and no response at all and no, uh, no responsibilities uh, taken by these uh, countries. So the West is totally ignoring uh, the Global South interest in a swift end to the war by uh, diplomatic uh, negotiations um, and uh, on the contrary with its economic war against uh, Russia, the West is holding the countries of the Global South hostage since they are suffering because of the rising uh, food and energy prices, the spread of hunger and poverty. This is another reason why the uh, global South actually wants to end this war through negotiations as soon as possible because uh, they are suffering about this and um, and having uh, more poverty and more hunger in the in the countries of the in the countries of the global South and also in the in view of the fatal effects of a prolonged war on the global South it must be ended immediately through diplomacy they say. And, um, for example, the initiative of the, of the new president, the re-elected president in uh, Brazil, uh, President Lula, or most recently announced initiative of uh, China, um, they are supporting these initiatives. And I think it's a very good initiative, uh, which has to be supported by the West itself. But I think they can only be successful if the West also supports in a diplomatic solution rather than pursuing its war goal of winning against uh, Russia. And in this respect, I can absolutely understand the stance and the position of the uh, majority of the global South. The Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Seymour Hersh, one of the most renowned investigative journalists in the world, he reported that the United States destroyed the Nord Stream pipelines with the help of NATO member Norway. And we should keep in mind that the Nord Stream pipelines were not simply a Russian project. There was significant investment by German companies, also French companies and other European companies. You yourself, Sevim, you raised this issue in the German parliament, the Bundestag. Why is there no outrage in Berlin and Brussels over this attack? I mean, what does this say about the fact that the United States is willing to attack the critical infrastructure of a country that it considers its ally? Well, um, as you said, Ben, it's very shocking how little attention the German public pay to the revelations of the deserving U.S. investigative journalist Seymour Hersh. Uh, and one has to imagine uh, this for a moment. Uh, this is a terrorist attack on German and European energy sovereignty, uh, presumably committed by NATO allies, the United States of America and Norway. And this should have resulted in a huge outcry. In my opinion, the German uh, government's refusal to get to the bottom of the terrorist attacks on the German-Russian Nord Stream pipelines is the highlight so far of Germany's, uh, Germany's uh, vassalage to the United States. It's nothing else. So uh, until today, the German government has been stonewalling and refusing 
to keep even parliament and parliamentarians informed on the investigations instead of leaving no stone unturned in the investigation of a terrorist attack apparently carried out by the United States and, uh, and Norway, its allies within NATO, the federal government uh, stays very si silent and on the accusation and carries on with business as usual. So the same applies to the German media. Uh, instead of taking the revelations of such a you know well-known and uh, investigative journalist uh, and journalist legend as an opportunity to do their own research and to put pressure on the German government to finally clarify the terrorist attacks, they are either ignoring or trying to defame uh, and uh, delegitimize the journalist Seymour Hirsch. So most of them are not even interested in finding out who is behind the terrorist attack and who is not. So, in fact, the, the, uh, the fact that the United States' involvement is ruled out from the outset is uh, absurd, if only since uh, President Biden announced in February 2022 uh, in a common press conference with the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, that Nord Stream will be terminated in the event of a Russian invasion, even against Germany's will. If, uh, if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine again, then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. What do, what, how, will you, how will you do that exactly, since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. So we are currently experiencing a collective cognitive dissonance in the German public. This also applies to the whole issue of peace negotiations between Ukraine and Russia, for example, as Israel's former minister, uh, Prime Minister uh, uh, Bennett has confirmed, Boris Johnson and the United States prevented the peace talks last spring in 2022. So in the mistaken belief that they could win a military victory over Russia, they swept a de facto finished negotiation result off the table. So, but German media is almost uh, not covering this. They are ignoring this as well. And um, I remember uh, how my friend, the journalist Julian Assange, who was facing up uh, to 175 years in prison in the U.S. for publishing the only truth about U.S. war crimes, uh, once said, if wars can be started by lies, Peace can be started by truth, and I do believe he is right in this, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm very much fighting uh, for the truth. Well, to end on a slightly more optimistic note, we do see a growing peace movement in Germany and Europe, led by you and some of your colleagues. A fellow member of the Die Linke left party, Sarah Wagenknecht, created a petition and that has around 600,000 signatures 
demanding that the German government stop sending weapons to Ukraine and instead push, push for peace negotiations to end this war. How do you think the people of Europe can bring about an end to this conflict? And how do you see a peaceful resolution coming about? Well, we have to say it's, uh, it's about uh, 600,000 uh, signatures within about a week. So it's a very huge support for the manifesto for peace uh, was initiated, uh, what was initiated by my colleague uh, Zara Wagenknecht and um, initially signed by 69 intellectuals and respected public figures. Uh, it is, a, and this support is a proof of the growing support for ending the war through negotiations. So in Germany, there is a vast difference between public and published opinion. So large sections of the mainstream media have given themselves over to entirely uncritical and US compliant war propaganda. And in politics and uh, in media, the tone is set by hawks who in their mania demand ever more weapons uh, and more heavy weapon deliveries and horrifically defame anyone who calls for diplomacy and negotiation. And the huge support for this petition, as well as for the protest against the security conference last weekend, where I spoke at the rally, the big uh, rally against Munich Security Conference in Munich, are a hopeful sign and emblematic of the fact that large swathes of the public no longer want to be part of what the war-obsessed ruling elite uh, are doing. And despite its hesitation and a certain rhetorical restraint in the case of the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, the German government uh, is de facto submitting to the U.S. Uh, ace declared war goal um, of uh, counting on a military victory for Ukraine against Russia. So the new German defense minister, for example, Boris Pistorius, has now in Munich at the Munich Security Conference even stated his quite openly at the uh, uh, conference that he is also uh, in the line of the United States uh, for the goal of counting on a military victory uh, for Ukraine against Russia. And I really share the assessment uh, of U.S. General Chief of Staff Mark Milley and, for example, the very conservative corporation uh, like the Red Corporation, that this strategy is very unrealistic and dangerous as it would imply to protect it uh, and cause the war of attrition and would carry the real danger of an expansion uh, of the war to the point of nuclear escalation. So I think um, the Chinese announcement at the Munich Security Conference uh, that it wants to advocate a peace initiative is very important. Uh, those who like the German Minister of Foreign Affairs, Annalena Baerbock, uh, make a complete withdrawal of Russian troops, uh, a condition obviously have no interest in ending the war because this is not a serious, uh, you know, uh, serious condition uh, because it's very unrealistic. A quick ceasefire must uh, have top priority now. 
and this requires negotiations without precondition. Therefore, on the one-year anniversary of the dreadful war, a broad coalition in Germany is mobilizing really big protests in Berlin on the 25th of uh, February, but all over Germany on the 24th and the 25th, there will be protests uh, going on and we will be calling for the German uh, government to finally take uh, the public's desire for diplomacy rather than escalation uh, uh, seriously. And I think um, not only in, in, in Germany, so as far as I know, in London, in, in many uh, countries in Europe, uh, in, the main, in the capital uh, cities, and even in the United States in March, uh, there will be, on the anniversary of the invasion of Iraq, there will be a big demonstration as well. And I think we do need um, a coordination and networking of freedom and peace-loving people worldwide. My, my, my impression is, not only my impression, it's my observation as well and experience, the warmongers in transatlantic um, relations, uh, in transatlantic think tanks like the Atlantic Council, the Atlantic Bridge, and some others, they are very much and very, uh, uh, very strongly bonded and uh, are in networks. And we do need an alternative to them. We do need um, left transatlantism with the peace-loving people in the United States, together with the peace-loving people in Europe, to show an alternative uh, to the relation between the U.S. administration and the German government that is a um, relation which is not uh, uh, which is not founded on respect and cooperation, uh, rather than uh, having a uh, a disbalance uh, where you have a, a hegemony like the United States and the vassal states, uh, the German government. So we do need an alternative on this, and we have to uh, work on this alternative uh, together as peace and freedom-loving people. Sevim Dagdalen uh, is a member of the German parliament, the Bundestag. She has been since 2005. She is a member of the parliamentary group of the left party, Die Linke, and a deputy member of the Defense Committee and a spokeswoman for international policy and disarmament. Savim, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Ben. It was a pleasure.